You're listening to Houston. We have a podcast where we talk everything and anything, movies and their reviews, and this is episode 11. Hey everybody, show here. Welcome to Houston. We have a podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Houston We Have a Podcast is produced every two weeks for your enjoyment, and show notes can be found at houstonwehaveapodcast.libsyn, which is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite feed or on iTunes, and you can follow me on Twitter at S-N-S-A-L-L-I, that's S-N-S-A-L-L-I. On episodes where I have guests on the podcast, like this one, I tend to skip the news because not that they're fillers, but I mean, you know, I I think we'd much rather listen to me talking with another person about what they think of a movie versus me talking about something you might be able to see on Twitter or something you might be able to see on elsewhere on the internet. So we're going to skip the news segment for this week and go straight to our review. So the first movie we'll talk about will be Kenneth Branagh's reimagining of Agatha Christie's extremely famous novel, the murder on the Orient Express. First things first, I'ma say all the words inside my head. I'm fired up and tired of the way that things have been. Oh, ooh, the way that things have been. Oh, ooh. All right, Murder on the Orient Express, directed by Kenneth Branagh, very famously known for a lot of his Shakespeare movies. And of course, I've talked about him on this very podcast before for his presence in the Marvel Universe directing the first Thor movie, but in this one, he directs Murder on the Orient Express and also plays the titular character. I guess not titular, is not named in the title of the movie, but the main character of Hercule Poirot, who is probably the most famous detective character in fiction outside of Sherlock Holmes, and, you know, even then, I'd honestly put that up for debate. Even though in, you know, Western cinema, Holmes has been more widely tackled, especially recently. A lot of people may recall the last adaptation of this novel directed by Sidney Lumet in 1974, starring Albert Finney as Poirot. But I think Branagh was the right person to take on this adaptation. It's it's very stylish. It's very fun. It's pretty much a period piece as the story takes place in the 1930s. And it very much shows you get to see all the cars, all the transportation methods, boats, planes, trains. You know, we get to see... The, the the clothing style that people wore, the shoes, the the vests, the watches, the hats. It's 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 all so well done and it's very fun, like I said. On and, and I kinda what what enhances that is that Abranai himself seems to have a blast playing the detective, you know, with some quirks, kinda O C D. You know, there's a part in the movie where he steps in a pile of poop and Instead of wiping his shoe, he steps like he steps in it with one foot initially, and instead of wiping it, he then steps in it with the other shoe, so it's even. And you know, we we, we see that a lot. You know, he sends a boy back for eggs a lot because he wants to have eggs for his morning breakfast, and he measures them to see if they're exactly the same height. And you know, the the detective has some quirks, and it's clear that I think OCD is probably one of them. Not that I'm a psychologist or anything, but you know, it's still fun to see Kenneth Branagh kind of playing the famous Hercule Poirot with these kind of little ticks, right? It's already actually been announced in a very, another very popular Agatha Christie novel, Poirot especially, Death on the Nile is coming down the pipeline, again with Branagh. So clearly the movie was received well, and you know what, it was fun. 
it's not going to blow up the blow the box office away or blow you the viewer out of the water but it's still fun it's still a, a great way to spend an evening at the movie theater and a large part of that is the cast not just Kenneth Branagh of course but the rest of the cast and it was a star-studded one it it definitely helped the script out at times i would think it it wasn't necessarily the best script but the the cast was so engaging that you didn't really think about it all that much Willem Dafoe, Penelope Cruz, Michelle Pfeiffer, Judy Dench, Josh Gad, D- Daisy Ridley, Jarek Jacoby, Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton, and of course, Johnny Depp. They all play the variety of passengers aboard the Orient Express train leaving Istanbul in the 1930s, and Johnny Depp is our murder victim. So the general plot of this movie is that we see Hercule Poirot solve, a, solve some kind of crime and he gets an, an urgent telegram, notice, wire to have him come to another place. So he has to get on a, the emergency suite, I guess, on the Orient Express, a very popular train that runs through the Orient, as it was known at the time. And while he's in the train, a murder is committed and a man is stabbed to death 12 times. And the train is delayed it's delayed on the tracks because of the weather an avalanche kind of makes the snow fall across the tracks and the train is stuck there so while they are being rescued and while they're waiting to be rescued i should say hercule poirot decides to investigate this crime so johnny depp is our murder victim you know i don't necessarily think it's a spoiler to reveal the ending of this story we've talked on the podcast a lot about spoilers and what is and what is not and what should and should not be spoiled right but you know what The book was published in 1934. It's been out for a long time, and it's probably one of the books that popularized the idea of the, you know, quote-unquote twist ending that has become so popular in media over the last few decades. But even so, I'll refrain, as it's a fun story that does keep people guessing, so I won't say how it's solved, but I think knowing that Johnny Depp is a murder victim is a great place to start because, I mean, it's pretty obvious if you watch it from the trailer. You know, there... I kind of mentioned that this movie is is fun. It's very stylish. It's very visually appealing. And there are some great flourishes that Brana does with the camera for you, the viewer. And they're always so fun, you know? When we first see Poirot get on the train, for example, the camera follows him, letting the audience see him walking down the interior of the train, but the camera is watching from the outside of the train. So we just see him and his friend, who is the manager of the train, let's say, walk down the interior as he passes by the various windows. So we just see him from the... Kind of like as if you were watching someone on a train from outside as they walk through as a passenger. And by the end of that shot, we see him walk by essentially every character, every major character in the movie at least once. And it's a great way for us to visually see everyone and at least be passably, again, in a visual sense, familiar with these characters, right? Because then you're familiar with them to a certain extent. Then when you see them again, you're like, okay, they're a passenger on the train and now we're getting to know why they're important. Another one he does is, is a really cool one with Willem Dafoe in particular. I don't want to spoil the whole thing with Willem Dafoe's character, but he is a character of note. I mean, all of them are, really. It's not a spoiler to say that, certainly. But we, when we learn a little bit more about Willem Dafoe's character, there's a great shot of Dafoe talking to Poirot, and the camera is looking at him through, I guess, a prism of glass. I guess it's a, it's a window or a pane of glass in a, in a door, kind of like you might find in a house or, you know, some kind of old school, like, you know, old school train, I guess, for example. But it's really cool to see because... The way the camera is looking at Willem Dafoe's character is that it, it makes it look like 
there are three of Willem Dafoe because it's a prism of glass and it kind of splits the image of him. And it, it's a great way, almost a visual metaphor for the idea that, you know, he is, he is not all that he seems or maybe that he has multiple identities or there's more to him than meets the eye. I thought it was a great way to at least show that. And by the time you get this, by the time you get to that shot in the scene, you already kind of have learned a bit about Willem Dafoe, but it's still an interesting beat, I guess, for us to watch as a, as a viewer. And, you know, an- another one he does, which I think is my favorite one of the whole m- movie, when we see the murder victim, the camera flips to a top-down view of the train, as if we're standing on the very top of the train looking down into the top of the room. And we get to see them, Poirot and his friend, examine the room in that fashion. And it's a really cool way to see the set and see them poke about the items in the room, almost like you yourself are investigating the crime scene along with Poirot. Those are the kind of things that separate it from the 1974 version, although that is probably the, I don't want to say definitive because it's such a famous novel, but, you know, a lot of people will think of the Lumet and Finney version, but this is so much fun as well. But if there's one big drawback to this film, it's that it's slow. A lot of it plods along and it's saved by the great cast, but it definitely can be slow for people who are looking for that kind of you know, Robert Downey Jr., Sherlock Holmes type of explosion-filled, beat-em-up, quick-cut, slow-motion movie that Guy Ritchie is known for. This is not that, nor necessarily should it be. You know, I think that's an, it's, it's a good thing to have those kind of movies, but also a good thing to have these slower movies. But again, that is definitely a con to the movie because, you know, you're not, you don't always have the time maybe to go see a long movie like this. But I, I still enjoyed it. And another thing, too, another big criticism I've seen that I've heard from other people who have seen the movie, my friends, family, you know, other people, co-workers, is that the movie has been criticized for not really giving Poirot a reason to solve the case because given the plot that I described, he could just sit in his cabin until they're rescued from the avalanche as the train has been stopped and not really bother with the case, right? Because, well, I mean, why should he? He's just a passenger at this point. But the film opens with us seeing his brilliance. We see him solve another case kind of, that had apparently no solution and they all, all, everyone wanted to see someone hang for their crimes. And of course, Poirot pulls the, the fourth suspect out of three out of his hat, right? And that's kind of the, the, the frame of the, for the movie showing us that he is a brilliant person and all that stuff. And we, we learn of his need to deliver his justice, or not his justice, but justice in general for crimes that have been committed in places that it's needed. So I kind of find that criticism lacking. But even more than that, aside from that, the movie is kind of a grand detective type of film, which is to say it doesn't need a reason for him to solve the crime. You're going to see this movie because it's one where the hero solves the befuddling mystery presented to him, so there's no real reason for him to have. That's the purpose of the movie, and even more so because it's Hercule Poirot, one of the most famous literary characters probably of all time, and I don't necessarily think that's an embellishment because he... I, I'm pretty sure that Agatha Christie is one of the best-selling authors, if not the best-selling author in the history of literature. And obviously that's not going to change anytime soon. So I don't necessarily think that Poirot needs that much of an introduction. Maybe maybe a little bit for this generation. But I mean, I'm not even 30 yet, and I know who Hercule Poirot is. And I would wager that most people have at least heard of him. So I don't necessarily think that it needs to be over-explained for them to have some kind of exposition-heavy scene where Poirot says, oh, well, I believe I need to solve this case because if I do not, then because of this, this, and this, and I will be... I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily something that's needed for the movie because everyone knows who Poirot is. 
And there's not that much to say about this movie in the, in the end. I mean, it's a visually beautiful period piece, great acting, it's entertaining, and especially by Brana Depp and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And, you know, if you're up for an old-fashioned whodunit, I would suggest you go see Murder on the Orient Express with some popcorn and a drink, and you won't be disappointed. Okay, time for the meaty part of this episode, as Justice League, the DC's answer to Marvel's team-up movies, hits theaters, it tries to do a lot in the film. So as such, I decided more was warranted in terms of the coverage of the movie. So I've invited a pair of very knowledgeable guests, one of which you are familiar with, to join me in studio to discuss the latest addition to the comic book movie universe. Happy to be joined now by the Stanish brothers, Mark and David. Mark, of course, has been on the pod before to talk about Spider-Man as his res- the resident Marvel fan. And now yep. David, his brother, brother, uh, the resident DC fan, has joined us for the review of Justice League. So, guys, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so we are coming back from the movie. We just, the three of us, saw the movie together. So let's get some first impressions. Like, David, I want to, like, let's get your first impressions of, of the Justice League movie. And I guess to preface it, we will talk a little bit, of, a little spoilery, but I feel, I feel as though you can't really discuss the movie we just saw without getting a little, a little in-depth into the spoiler. So what, what were your first thoughts? I think it was, like, very uh, refreshing uh, in a sense of, like, um, one thing that I noticed is, is short. Um, I think Mark told me that a couple weeks ago, but I just forgot about it. Like, it was under two hours, um, which is, like, it wasn't, um, like, bogged down. By a bunch of like unnecessary things, um, and it just kind of had like a different tone. I know people are talking about how like like sad the DC universe or whatever has been, and it's kind of it was just a little more lighter, a little more fun, and it was just in that in that sense, it was kind of an enjoyable watch. Okay, and Mark, what were, what were your first impressions of Justice League? I think, uh, in contrast to how Marvel had to build up their universe, which with each of their kind of main cast of the Avengers getting their own movie, the fact that they were able to pull it off with bringing in this cast of characters with some, you know, The Flash and Cyborg and Aquaman getting, you know, not this two-hour kind of origin story, but they they brought them in in a way that it didn't feel forced. And, I mean, that was the strength of the movie was these characters. I thought they were all well cast, even if they deviated a little bit from the comics, and they were just, it was fun. That's that's the way I would sum it up. It was a fun movie. So one of one of the big news, I guess, items that surrounded Justice League before the movie, just a few months ago, back in the summer, was that Zack Snyder had departed the project. He was still he's still the director, and he was still credited credited as such. It said a Zack Snyder film and whatnot. But Joss Whedon got a little more involved with the movie, right? And I, I guess, I, I guess my question to you guys is, what do, do you feel that having seen other Joss Whedon properties, I know you guys have, right? And do you, do you feel there was any, his his handiwork was visible on this film at all? Because I kind of felt like there was, but I wanted to get your take on that first. Yeah, I think like in the specific characters, I think the, I think the number one praise that I see of Joss Whedon a lot is that he just knows like the specific takes for each character of like what makes them like kind of special. So for each individual character, they just kind of like had enough moments of why they're kind of doing this and like what kind of drives them to be good. And just like all like the fun parts about it. Like Barry was just like, it's kind of just fun to see like someone that's like totally new to the whole like fighting scene. In this movie, and he's like he's kind of like a kid in a candy shop sort of thing, just kind of learning, experiencing things for the first time. So I think it's just like in like the little, 
I think it's just the character moments were just a little more earned in this movie, and they just were more uh, natural than in the previous like DC movies. I mean, he definitely had like tones of the Avengers, which Joss Whedon. I mean, was his big, I guess, hallmark in the comic book universe. And yeah, you, you see maybe most in Barry, but also kind of like those interactions between each characters. Um, something that Avengers was able to do well was like have all these characters and have them in this big set piece and big battles. I mean, it's if I keep bringing up the Avengers, like I think it's impossible not to, right? Yeah, like that's fair. this is DC's attempt at that. And despite that, they also had these little moments between. You can almost pull out any two characters, and they had these moments. And you got you got a little bit of that in this, and it. You saw it in the humor. You saw it in those kind of witty dialogue that may have taken you out of the 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 darkness that used to be in those DC movies. And, you know, it was refreshing. I think, I guess for me, for one of the things that really stood out to me was with Batman. Because I, going back to Batman versus Superman, and you say what you want about that movie, but I think one of the, a lot of the positives that I, at least you, I read, and I think I discussed with you, Mark, that a lot of people seem to really like the take on Batman, right? The kind of older, gruffer Batman. Like he's been around, he's, he's seen some shit, right? So, and, and then we kind of go to, we get to Justice League, and there's a point in the movie, I think it was the part where um, he kind of, like Superman kind of throws him, he throw, throws him aside, and for Lois, and then and then we kind of like catch up with Batman like a few seconds later, and he's like, "Yeah, something's bleeding, right?" And I and I kind of I kind of like it was it was funny that I laughed, but at the same time, it it was almost like they kind of moved a little bit away from the kind of a little more I don't give an f characterization Ben Affleck from the from the Batman versus Superman Batman. He was a little more light lighthearted, and I kind of feel like that maybe had was something to do with J- Joss Whedon. Yeah, I think he was a he was a better. Batman in this than he was in the previous movie, but I, you know, he, I think he was a strong point in Batman versus Superman. Like you said, we've talked about that before, and honestly, like, I, compare the the Batman to Christian Bale's Batman. It's, I mean, I don't know if Christian Bale's Batman is they're different. I don't know if he. I mean, those movies certainly are so much. Maybe I would think those movies are a lot better than what we've seen in this DC universe. But as a Batman, Ben Affleck is up there with the best in my books, at least. As someone a big fan of Ben Affleck, but also this interpretation. Yeah, I think that's actually like was an intentional sort of like character shift because uh, it's kind of like the story and the way the DC universe is like constructed is that he's been Batman for twenty years, going into Man of Steel, and that's like made him like hardened and like very like very like paranoid and like distrustful. And then like at the end of Man of Steel, he sees that like this person that he thought was a super not Man of Steel, excuse me, Batman versus Superman, uh, that this like this enemy they thought was a threat because he he doesn't trust like. In people, he saw like the good in Superman and like how it inspired like other people, like Wonder Woman, to come out. And he just really, it, it kind of reinvigorated his hope in humanity. So that's why I think he's like more positive, not killing people all the time. <laughs> like he did in Batman Good to yeah, see that yeah. Superman's death had such a lasting impact on this universe, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I think uh, I did. I admit, I think I think the movie did pleasantly surprise me. I thought they were gonna like dig up. The, his Superman's coffin, and then fi- find it to be empty or something, and Superman was going to come come by, come back later on. That was like a part of the movie that kind of threw me pleasantly, I think, because I, I expected something and I got something different, right? And I thought that was kind of an interesting take. What do you What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I definitely think like, um, like as soon as he like died in the bat, I just think that the, the idea of having him die, Batman versus Superman, was kind of silly in terms of just cramming it in. Um, but it, it, in a way, it kind of was like the catalyst of this plot. Um, like I guess like they felt like Earth was defenseless so that's why this attack came right and it's like he wanted to find other people like that so it, it was kind of important for the plot um i do understand like any sort of like like skepticism or not skepticism i don't know what the word is but just like oh they didn't really like even kill him like, right he right comes back immediately 
Um, but I like I I think the death of Superman was like interesting. I like how he created a pretty like logical reason of why he would come back, other than the dirt moving at the very end of the last. Movie. Yeah, yeah. It was easily my like least favorite. I mean, hard to explain. I was trying to voice this to to David on the way over here. That like I I understand Superman coming back in this movie, and I think like the the scene where it gets back. I mean, you know, you could chalk it up to your like typical. Heroes banding together so they have to fight each other, which happens in, like, every comic book crossover, whatever you can imagine. But it just it, it just shows the glaring issues that were in Batman vs. Superman because why did he have to die? Like, yes, now we're talking about the, the catalyst for why the villain in this movie had to enter, sure. But I think that's – I don't know if we should give them the credit of, you know – trying to weave this. If they weaved that much of a story in advance, they probably wouldn't have handled Superman's death that the way they did previously. Quite frankly, like, you talked about Thor in your last episode mm-hmm. and um, how you eloquently put how that movie, like, leaned on the past of its previous, like, the cinematic universe that it existed in. Right, right. This movie was, like, bogged down by it. Like, I thought it was, in my opinion at least, like, yes, this movie needed to exist in this this canon of the other movies, but the the weakest parts of it, I thought, were a direct cause of some of the the missteps that, in particular, Batman vs Superman took. Yeah, I think I think I, I can agree with that a little bit. I feel like one of the major flaws of this movie, and there was no there was no real way to get around this in in a movie like in a in a team up superhero movie, right? Because it, and again, you, you mentioned it's hard to not compare this movie to the Avengers. And to go back to the Avengers a little bit, by the time when we got the Avengers, there had already been a Captain America movie, there had already been a Thor movie, there had already been an Iron Man movie, right? I think there'd been two Iron Man movies actually at yep. that point, right? So and and so when we get the Justice League, yes, there had already been Wonder Woman, there's already been Man of Steel. Batman vs Superman is like kind of a Batman origin movie, also Man of Steel two, kind of right. Like if you're if, depending on how you look at it, and then we had not ever seen Cyborg or Aquaman, right? And they were they were entertaining in their own ways, and I think that those two characters were or the Flash as well. Oh, and the yeah, Flash, yeah. right? I almost forgot about him actually. And the, the, and the three of them were. Were, were entertaining, but because they didn't have their, like, backstories explained, and, I mean, for the three of us, we knew who they were, right? We knew, like, where their, what, like, generally what their origins were. Maybe they tw- tweaked some a little bit for the movie, but, I mean, in a, in a broad sense, we probably knew, the three of us, you know, who Aquaman was, who The Flash was, who Cyborg was, right? But for the general audience who they want to go see this movie, they kind of have to put in some exposition. And I felt that's where, like, the movie, like you said, kind of got a little bogged down, right? Where, like, when they introduce... I think one of the funniest scenes to me was in, in the whole movie was when when we see Aquaman fight Steppenwolf like in Atlantis for like that that like five six minutes or whatever, and then we see Amber Heard uh, in the movie as well as as um, I guess yep. like at this point she's just her like, name's Mara Mara she, yeah. and she's and she's just like another guard I guess at this point like, she she just she didn't seem to like like they didn't really explain that you know what I mean like they just go down there we see Amber Heard there's no real explanation other than that she seems to know Aquaman's mother and then like that's that's kind of like they just jam all this exposition into like her like kind of monologue at him and then he just says like all right i'm gonna need something for you and then that's it we never see we never see her again we never see atlantis again like they don't really i don't even think they said her name i completely forgot that line right like i need something and, that, and I, I assume it was the trident right like i assume that's what oh, he got yeah. i assume that's what he got yeah, from her and right and the, the armor yeah all right because he was just like walking around like shirtless before which yeah <laughs> which i'm sure people yeah. won't complain about but like Oh. Yeah, that's what that that it just seemed like very ex, it was very exposition heavy, I guess. It was also unclear as like did he was he in Atlantis before? Is this his first time being in Atlantis or like it wasn't it was unclear like did they know each other or they kind of just met? It seemed like they kind of just met. Right, exactly, yeah. Cuz yeah, it, like is there are is there no king or is there a king there that's, right now? Yeah, that I mean, in particular 
the Aquaman, that scene maybe was the least, like, sensical, to, for lack of a term. Yeah. Like, it, it, you're right, because mm-hmm. it dived the most into, like, exposition. But, like, once you once you put your foot into that pool, like, once you dip your toe in, you need to give more. Like, you can't show half your hand there. I mean, maybe he's slated next to get his own movie I, I mean, they are, they are like, the I think group. it's I think They're it's all going to get yeah, it, yeah. 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 But... In terms of, like, their origins, like, they all kind of did mention a little bit. They're actually very faithful to at least the newest rendition of uh, yeah. the DC, like, in terms of... Yeah, fair enough, yeah. And I, it, it's it's all that you say that because, I mean, I did lead this discussion at the beginning, or I mentioned this at the beginning, that uh, I thought that they did it good, like, because it's tough. Like, they don't have a whole movie. So, you know, with Spider-Man... They didn't have to, because everybody knows Spider-Man. Everyone knows, got bitten by a radioactive spider. Right, like, exactly. it's pervasive in, like, other, you know, pop culture people use. Oh, you got bitten by a radioactive X to fill in, you know. Versus Aquaman and especially Cyborg, where, yeah. like, your yeah. average person has no idea the origin. So they have to give you something. How much is too much is that discussion. And for Aquaman in that scene, they went too far. Hey, let, me, let me ask you guys this, actually. Because now, now, that, now that I'm actually thinking about it, I, the, my only real interaction with Cyborg as a comic character has been was when I was maybe in high school and I watched Teen Titans a great few show. times, right? And yeah, it's a great. It was really entertaining. It was it was great. But I mean, that's all I really ever saw of Cyborg. And like now, and I, I, that's kind of my experience with him. And now he's in the Justice League, right? So mm-hmm. what what is what it, is that is that part of his backstory? I don't know. It kind of is actually. Yeah, so like we're the, the biggest glasses pusher. <laughs> Obviously an audio <laughs> thing, but uh, basically like in the in like the. Well, not the most newest, but like in the most recent kind of like rendition of the DC comics, and they kind of rebooted, which the was twenty twelve. Yeah, twenty twelve. So okay, like a recent like old kind of thing was uh, the Justice League. Like side, like this. This is actually very much similar to it, except it's not Steppenwolf. It would be like Darkseid. Okay, was like the original villain, but like Cyborg was like it basically like in an accident, like involving like the parademons and stuff like that. And okay, he fuses with the technology. And then he just kind of like ends up being there while the Justice League kind of forms together. So like in the new like in the newest like rendition of the comics, he is like an original or founding member of the Justice League. Oh, okay. And it was an, an attempt to like get um, like different types of characters in the in the new universe and right, right. Bit, frankly, more diversity on the Justice League. Yeah, uh, fair. If, if we have to be like honest, but like so like this is this is very like recent to that, and like he's had a lot of exposure and things like the DC like. Um, Video games, like he's in uh, the Injustice game for those right. who play that. So like he is more widespread now, but like most people probably remember from the cartoon, like the Teen Titans cartoon. I yeah, yeah. Cartoon. But you y- you did mention that like his he kind of was the catalyst of the story in the Justice League one in 2012 in the reboot, the New 52, and that was kind of like his reintroduction to the DC universe. And he didn't have even a solo comic until later. I mean, he might have had a few one-offs or whatever, but, like, he was always kind of this side character. But, like, he was very much... The spotlight was put on him for this this relaunch, and the diversity was definitely something. So it's... I think that his character in particular, um, I think they kind of underplayed some of, like, the the stuff that... Let me let me rephrase this. the The fact that the mother boxes, which were kind of this this item in the movie, where uh, the the villain was basically chasing all three magical muffins. Um, yeah, it kind of had like it, it kind of was a, a, a one trick. I uh, sorry, it can do anything. It could like revive <laughs> yeah. Superman in one case, and then it also like created him. Kind of, it, it was really messy. Whereas I think the comic book rendition was a little bit tighter. Like it was because Cyborg was brought back to life that the door was open, whereas yeah. this, because Superman existed in the yeah, comic, yeah. whereas this, they kind of fiddled out. I think 
it definitely made more sense in the comic, I thought. It, it was a little bit confusing in the movie, but... Yeah, I think, I think that was a, a big part of it. I think that the mother boxes were just kind of... I, it, was, it was kind of funny. Before they really explained what they were, the first Steppenwolf kind of just, like, portals down to, the, like, the Amazon island, and he just go. He looks at the box, and he says, Mother, uh, thank you for summoning me. And I kind of was like, what on earth is in this box? Yeah, this guy can teleport box. anywhere, but then, like, he... <laughs> I don't know. If he can teleport everywhere, why does he just teleport to each box? He found the other boxes. I guess he knew he, the key, where they were. The key to all recent <laughs> comic movies is having, like, a very powerful but undefined set of powers for whatever right, it is. Right. It's, like, the villain or, the like, the object. Like, you just, like, don't explain exactly what it does and you can do whatever you want. It's true, yeah. I mean, and like, I mean, if you were, if you want to compare it to the to the Marvel, I mean, we don't really know what the Infinity Stones do, right? They, they kind of just do whatever the heck they want with those things, right? So yeah. I, I can look past that for the mother boxes. I, I did think it was funny though. We kind of talked a little bit about Steppenwolf. I do think he was probably the worst part of the movie. I kind of think just because he was just like an. Ex- I mean, mo- most superhero movies. And I've talked about this before. A lot of superhero movies are just especially these days, excuses for the good guys to beat up the bad guys, right? Like, mm-hmm. as we saw in this movie, as we saw in the Avengers, as we've seen pretty much any team-up superhero movie or any individual one for that matter, you know, it's just an excuse for the Justice League to, like, kick the ass of, like, faceless parademons and then, like, when, when, when they're ready, kick the ass of Steppenwolf, which they did, and then, like, they win and then the movie ends and everyone's happy, right? Like, that's... It's just really a vehicle to, for us to watch them do cool things, which, which I don't really have a problem with. I mean, that's why, that's why you go to the movies. You go to be entertained, right? But at the same time, you want, like, something from these villains and we've talked about villains in the past, right? With Mar- especially with the Marvel movies, and yeah, Steppenwolf just kind of seemed kind of like just kind of lacking. Like he would just kind of teleport from place to place, beat up a bunch of nameless people, and then like take out each Justice League member individually until until we get to that point. And and I guess before I bring you guys back in here, like one of the one of my favorite funniest parts of Justice League was when they bring Superman back to life, and he like shoots out of the ship, and then he lands near the near his monument. And then they just leave the third box. It just like shoots. It like lands in a car or something. And they they just like leave, they just leave it there. And then they're they're just like oh, awestruck by Superman. And then he just like teleports in, grabs it, and teleports. Out. But why <laughs> like, couldn't he have done that? I guess when the box was used, he could you like sense it. Time. I guess. Well, yeah. of course. Yeah. They'll just say know. that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing several. All I gotta say is he also like not only was his lines kind of you know lacking in the character death and all that. Like he also like visually like was by far the weakest in a movie that was like chock full of really good CGI in my opinion, he looked bad. Like he just looked bad. I at least so, thought so. So there's two things about the thing. Uh first of all he looks very much similar to the villain in Suicide Squad. Or like, yeah, it's yeah. true actually, yeah. But um uh but also like two things like first of all like when it's a Justice League movie, especially when you're adding new characters, you can't really do too much fleshing out with the villain just true. time logistic wise. The other thing is I think like in the past, like in the DC uh, movies, they like, kind of like the villain, even though, even in the non-universe, like the, the Batman, like Nolan stuff, like mm-hmm. it seems like they've had more emphasis on making the villain like a really big character. <clears throat> so whether it be Zod or like um, Joker, the Suicide Squad, I guess, or like, um, but like Bane or whatever, and the Joker in, in the real, in the, in the, first, in the Nolan movie. Um, but like in Marvel, uh, the movies have been really good and it's been like pretty much the opposite, bearing Loki. The villains actually have been very unforgettable. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, forgettable. Very, right. very forgettable. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, excuse me. But like, essentially, they're just a kind of. It's like they'd rather just focus on building their hero. Like all the Iron Man villains in the movies were pretty bad, but yeah. they built their hero. So it's, I think it's kind of like an intentional way of doing that. That's fair. Also, like in the scheme of the comic universe, for whatever that's worth, it's like Steppenwolf isn't like a big villain. It's right. Dark Side is the bigger villain. Yeah, yeah. I think they're alluding to. So I think. It's just kind of like that, and also just fitting all the new characters. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, like I guess, like 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 you said, I think it's a great a great point. They 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 
developed some people like The Flash, and we saw Billy Crudup as his father. I thought that was great. Like Doctor Manhattan is like The Flash's father, and like this weird like alternate timeline, I guess. But uh, yeah, they brought it. Like we got we got to learn a little bit more about The Flash. We had to learn learn a little bit more about Cyborg, about um, Aquaman, and we already kind of knew about Batman and. Um, Superman and Wonder Woman, but it was they, even their, their relationships got a little more fleshed out, right? We saw Batman and Wonder Woman have some tense moments at points. We saw Superman ask. That was actually kind of a fun moment when Superman grabbed Batman and asked him if you bleed. That was kind of fun. Like that was a, that was a fun little throwback to like probably one of the cooler parts of Batman versus Superman, right? I think I think one of the at least for me one of the funnest set pieces of the whole movie, right? Is kind of the first encounter the group has with Steppenwolf when they go into, like, I guess they're underneath Gotham Harbor or something. Like, they go underneath this, like, into the sewers, I guess, for lack of a better term. And they fight him in that kind of, like, long... I don't even know what... I don't even know what part tunnel. of a building that tunnel. is. It's like, a, lo- it's like yeah. a long tunnel, I guess, yeah. And um, they're, they're fighting, and, and they have this really cool moment where the Flash runs along the side of the wall as Diana, like, dives off the bridge for her sword... And like, and we see the movie kind of like for a brief moment from the Flash's perspective, right? Like, and they, they kind of use it again a few times later on in the movie. But I think that was the first time we like we the audience really get to see it. And time slows down; everything turns kind of blue and glowy. And we see like Barry's expressions, and Ezra Miller did a great job with that. I thought he was very he seemed very earnest and genuine. And and then he kind of jumps off the wall and like pushes Diana's sword back to her and she does some cool move and like slices one of the parademons in two. But like that was in the trailer. I think that that was one of the like the biggest shots in the trailer, right? I kind of mm-hmm. I kind of felt that was honestly one of the coolest parts of the movie and I kind of almost felt let down cuz I knew it was going to happen. Does that make is that, if that makes sense? Uh, I feel it. I mean that's with any trailer. I mean in general, I thought I think that DC movies and Man of Steel who which is a movie that I adamantly defend and I always will and I I don't know what it was about that movie whether it was what I thought was a really good villain, but primarily great action scenes. And it reminds me of, I know David knows this show, and I, I'm sure you're familiar, but like Dragon Ball Z. Right, right. So right. It kind of mm-hmm. does capture that sort of like, and you saw it in Wonder Woman in her first scene in this movie where she's kind of uh, stops this like terrorist attack in yeah, progress yeah. kind of thing where they kind of just nail that sort of like sense of speed and like power and, you know, people flying through buildings and breaking buildings, but like, I don't know, seemingly being okay, which is a little weird. But... That particular scene you're talking about was a great scene. And for it to be ruined by a trailer is just, you know, chalk it up to another thing that trailers yeah, ruin. But I think the movie did have a lot of action scenes, even if they're kind of punching this faceless puppet at the end around, like, because, you know, he's nothing to us. They didn't flesh out the character. But at least it looked cool. Like, it definitely got my attention. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think... I think- that's all you like. Like we were talking about before, that's kind of what you go for. You go to be entertained. You don't necessarily go to like break it down into into like tiny little pieces. Even though you know you you do expect some some level of I guess discourse from these movies to to an certain extent. But at the same time, I was entertained. I, I did like it. I actually thought one of the coolest part, parts of the movie um, was that I guess Hans Zimmer was supposed to score this movie, and then he departed the project, and Danny Elfman took over the scoring of the movie. And there was a part in the movie, I think it was when, during like one of the climactic battles, when like Batman flies like the troop, the troop ship and it, and it crashes and he like, j- like launches the Batmobile out of the back of the ship and he's kind of just ripping through the streets of 
like, I don't know, it's like a random Russian city in the middle of nowhere, but... It's supposed he, to be Chernobyl, but they didn't call it something yeah, else exactly, for yeah, lack yeah. of whatever, but yeah. So, they, so they're going through this, like, city, and you hear, like, Danny Elfman's Batman theme. Like, the famous, the famous Batman theme from, like, the Jack Nicholson one in, like, the 80s. That was, actually, I thought that was kind of a fun little touch. I guess Danny Elfman couldn't resist. I mean, it was his movie he scored, and he, like, added it back in. And then they, they even added, I think, very briefly, the, the Superman theme, like, John Williams' Superman theme, which we haven't heard a, a lot, right? They have, like, a little, mo- little motifs in the Man of Steel movie, but it was kind of fun. That was kind of, like, neat to hear. And, I got know. my five seconds of the Wonder Woman theme when, <laughs> when she was introduced, and that's all I needed. Like, that, that music... I want to wake up to that music. I want to go to bed to that. Like that music is the best. I love it. I love it. I think they also did like really uh, good job with the action sequences. All mm-hmm. the characters were a lot. Uh, they were like they were they were they were well like. Um, it, it was just like, it was like they were very comfortable. I guess like doing their their like movements. If that makes any sense. Right. We also saw Superman do the frost breath for the first time. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I genuinely love that moment. <laughs> yeah, just like they it, like it seemed like they had really natural movements, like really good like like senses of like I don't. know. Uh, it sounds like weird me describe it. Just like moving their body, it, it looked like very natural. I actually think like the cyborg, um, the guy who did cyborg, Ray Fisher, he did a really good job. I actually thought cyborg was real, a really good surprise in that movie. That's fair. Yeah, he was he was a pretty. I, I, for considering his his entire body was CGI, I think like the only thing that was not CGI of him was like like half of his face. Considering that, considering that, I think you're right. I think that was kind of a, he he looked cool. He did neat things. We got to see the kind of classic, at least far again as far as I'm concerned, the Teen Titans look with like the like the red like kind of jewel thing in his chest at the very end of the movie. Um, what my last question for you guys before I let you go is so we stayed around we saw the the two after credit scenes they had the kind of a fun one kind of midway through and then Just they had kind of the the invoke thing to do yeah. now is the fun one after the yeah. mid and then yeah exactly yeah it, it, like yeah it, it was fun like i mean who, who I, it almost seemed to it almost seemed to remind me of the kind of like nerd debates people have like who's faster flash or superman like that's kind of what it seemed to be like right and uh, but the the kind of I guess quote unquote real after credit scene right with uh, we get to see of course Jesse Eisenberg in the movie again as Lex Luthor I kind of I, I would have been I felt I would have been surprised if he didn't make like a little cameo in it mm-hmm. and then we got to see uh, Joe Manganiello uh, cameo as Deathstroke so I don't know what what were your guys impressions of that so I thought uh, I think I'm pretty much gonna steal Mars part but I actually thought like that Deathstroke looked really good they did a really good job. The fact that he had a uh, um, all white hair too—it's kind of like he's probably been around the same time as Batman, so he'd be older. Right. Um, but it's a really cool character, just like setting up like a potential like jumping off point to like Justice League Two of like assembling a team. If you think about like the natural progression, it's just like it'd probably be like they fight this guy, and then they fight a team of bad guys that are just nor like Earth bad guys, and then the third one would be like the final boss if it was a video game, and right. then it'd be like Darkseid. But it's like it just it's cool to see that, and it's cool to see they have ideas of what they're gonna do, and I just thought the costume looked cool. He's a cool character. I don't know how many, like, is it going to be comic book movies forever? Like, can we, can they be projecting into a third movie? Like, can the Dark... The have taken I, over. I mean, this comes back to the best point, or rather, the best argument to not have Darkseid in this movie. Because I actually came in thinking it was Darkseid. I guess I was in the dark enough to... But I, I do understand now is that you don't have time for to flesh out a villain. So you almost, like, don't want to waste, uh, waste it. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's a good term. Uh, you don't want to use everything. You don't want to show your entire hand at once. With this ending, I'm thinking like I asked David on the way here. I'm like, do you think that this is going to tie into the next movie? And he obviously thinks so, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they hold it off to as like another you know ace in the hole for maybe the third movie or whatever it is. I just think it's I'm, one thing. I'm not a fan of Jesse Eisenberg. I thought he was the <laughs> weakest part of. Um, actually, I like the actor. I just didn't like his Lex Luthor. Right. Um, 
you know, interpretation. But, uh, you know, I'm a little over these whole, like, end credit scenes with these little, like, tidbits and all that. Like, you know what? We'll see what becomes of it. I'm excited to see what this universe comes to. But I'm actually most excited for the individual movies now. Yeah. And I do think that this reverse engineering of the Marvel technique of individual movies into the group, and this is the opposite, I think that that actually could end up being the better mold because you you can go into backstory, but you don't need as much exposition, if that makes sense. Right. So that kind of can lend itself to some good storytelling. So I'm excited for the future. I don't know about the end credit scene. We kind of like Spider-Man, like Homecoming. Like you just kind of you already introduced this guy, so you don't have to like bog it down with like yeah. useless. Like, and that was yeah. a success, we think. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it, it was a it was a, a nice little addition. But yeah, I I can kind of. I get the kind of fatigue with these kind of things, right? Like, I mean, if you're going to show them, just show them at some point in the movie. I, I do, I do agree with you, that you guys. Though, I think, we, I mean, in the, in the next, I think, few years, we have Wonder Woman two, and I believe Patty Jenkins is already signed on to direct that movie. You know, we we get the Ben Affleck, the Matt Reeves directed Ben Affleck, the Batman, right, coming out in a few years. We he got, apparently wants, I think, he wants that to be like a an out. He said he, or he's, or rather, there was news about him working on a, or he wants to do the character justice, but he's kind of looking for a. I think he quoted a cool way to like end his Batman. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how that all works out. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, so, no, no. We, we 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 have a lot of like individual movies, like you said, right? And uh, I'm 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 sure the Ezra Miller is going to get his own Flash movie, like you said. And I, I, works, yeah, yeah Aquaman, I believe Aquaman is either already filming or maybe it's even done filming already. I'm not actually sure. Maybe it's in like post right now. Who knows? But they're already working on these movies, so we're, we're, I'm sure we're going to get a, we're going to get a slew of these movies in the next maybe yeah. like four to five years, right? And I'm, ex- I'm excited to see them. I mean, everyone keeps talking about the idea of comic book movie fatigue, and I do think that it, it is real to a certain extent, but I mean, people like us are going to go see all of them. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> They've also they were- kind of killed all other, like, blockbuster movies, like Geostorm, like, doesn't stand a chance <laughs> yeah, when these sort of Geostorm. movies Rampage. exist. Rampage. Oh, yeah, Rampage. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We saw the trailer for that movie. That yeah, looked, that so, looked, yeah, yeah, like, it <laughs> looks interesting. Yeah. We were big fans of the game, so we might go because we're also nerds. Push up our glasses, you know. But. Yeah, but it's funny. Like me and Mark, like we'd watch every like superhero movie, like back in the day when it was like from the Spider-Man, Tobey right. Maguire, to like Fantastic Four, Daredevil. I'll just say all the ones that were in the middle, like Green Lantern, was kind sure. of like the end of that era. But like we would watch them, like no matter what, it's a superhero <laughs> movie. You have to see it. Now you but put that, it in a cinematic universe, and you almost feel like you have to go. Like it's yeah. almost feel. I don't want to say it's but a also, chore. It's but also but. like it's funny. It's like, but they're actually they're all. Good now, and they used to be like bad. The, oh my, Catwoman! Like, yeah, <laughs> that was actually one we didn't see. Yeah, that's one. Oh my god! Don't see it. Don't see it. It's like, but it's like they were all bad in the standard. So bad. Like when if it has a four was released today, it would be like total like the the, even the newest fan has four. But the, the first one, it'd be like this is total garbage. Back and they were just like, oh, it's so happy to see these guys. Like yeah, it's true. It. But now the standard is raised, and they're good in movies. So it's like the fatigue is like I think it exists. I, I understand what you mean. But it's also like if they're good movies, then it will like mitigate that. Fact. And it's not so much as fatigue; it's almost like an arrogance in my mind of like just assuming that like you know planning this far and ahead. And like South yeah. Park's making jokes about it yeah, too. Yeah, with, like, yeah, exactly. you know what I mean, like it it is there is a little bit of like you know cockiness and saying like oh here's our phase five in advance and like planning all this stuff. It's <laughs> it's just weird. There's also I've seen like memes where they have like uh, like. With pictures of like all the logos of the movies, like 2018 Flash, 2019 uh, Green Lantern Corps, whatever. Right, right. And it's like this caption in the meme would be like, "These guys are better. Like they planned out their lives better than I have." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand. Like it's like they've been planning. Like they play in the Justice League. Um, like in the midst of like the Batman vs Superman, like not a flop because it was a financial success, but like bad critical reviews. Right. And they're also uh, that they're like, okay, it's gonna be so successful. We're gonna have these many 
they've been they worked on and have already like are in post production on a lot of these side things that kind of contingent on like having a success. So it is kind of arrogant to assume you can just make them. But if we keep on buying them, it might not be that arrogant. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, they're kind of. They're, yeah. They know. They. I guess. They. I guess the best thing to say is that they do definitely know their audience, and mm-hmm. and I think a lot of some a lot of my other friends they 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 won't go see, for example, the Flash movie or the Aquaman movie, but they will go see Justice League because Justice League. Like that name, you know, there's like the, the cartoon we all probably watched and it was very popular for people of our age demographic. And, you know, it's almost like a it's a pop culture event, right? It's like a pop culture event that if you are into movies or if you're into comics and if you're into any one of these things that now overlap quite a lot, you're probably going to see this movie. And that's what the, these studios are banking on. Right. So, I mean, I don't blame them. They're, 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 we're all of the age and how we all have a little more disposable income than we did when we were, when we were younger. So the, you know, these are things I, we, we like to spend them on. So, you know, that's, that's not a, it's not ultimately a bad thing. I, I, as long as they, as long as they keep making like entertaining movies, they don't have to be necessarily critically good, but I'll, I'll, I'll go see them. But you guys, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate Thanks it. For having it's, us. Uh, it's been a great, great, uh, great having you both on this time. Maybe we can do it again uh, in in the near future. But Justice uh, League Two, Rampage, yeah, Rampage, Rampage. 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 We'll, yeah. Have do, we'll have to do Rampage. <laughs> but once again, this is the Standish Brothers, David and Mark. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks again. Well, those were our reviews this week: Murder on the Orient Express by Kenneth Branagh and my Justice League review with Mark and David Standish. Two brothers, two brothers, no, no, no Rick and Morty jokes, but yes, those were the two reviews, the two movies reviewed on Houston, we have a podcast this week, my apologies also for the tardiness of this episode, I actually recorded all of this last week with the intention of posting it on Sunday as usual, and then put it in the queue in Libsyn for it to post, and then completely forgot to hit post. I, I, I swear to God, I thought I hit post, and I just did not do that. I've done that with text messages. I've done that with emails. And now, I guess I've done that with this podcast. So in the future, we will get out the episodes a little sooner, even though this one is, what, I guess a week late. Ooh, ooh, I don't like doing that. But regardless, we'll stick to the schedule. That's it from me tonight. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. More movie reviews coming in the coming weeks, of course. Lots of Oscar movies coming out on the schedule, so keep your ear out for that. But for now, you've been listening to Houston. We have a podcast. This has been episode 11. Good night. Good night.